own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. It just helps me when I'm having a bad day. It helps me grow closer to the Lord, stay closer to the Lord. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way. Current events, personal values, political and social issues, technology, wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Welcome into our weekly look at Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news that we call the Signs of the Times for Friday, April 30th, 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilt, and thanks for joining us. To learn more about or how to watch our program, just download the Way Media app or visit thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times. This will be Podcast episode number 167 through the available magic of computer math later on this afternoon. And you can learn how to subscribe to this podcast through different podcast sources always at thewaymedia.net. We've got articles. We've got great listener questions uh, to get to in the second half. But right now, Pastor Mark is going to show us how the tragedy of human trafficking is spoken of in the Bible. You might not know this. As not only that, but it's spoken of as a latter days prophecy. Yeah. So it kind of tells us where we're at in the timeline of prophecy, and we'll discuss it further with a local group providing much needed outreach, outreach and refuge to those who have been victims. So, Pastor Mark, take yeah, it away. you know, it's it's interesting, Greg. Um, we look at the end times, and sometimes I think we miss what uh, everything the Bible's talking about in different things until it's really brought to our attention. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in the last days. Yes, uh, more things are brought to attention in Joel chapter three. Um, speaking in context of the last days, I want to read some of this for you. It says this, For behold, this is chapter 3, verse 1 of Joel. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, that is when Israel was gathered in 1948, he says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the valley of Jehoshaphat, again, is in direct reference to what we call the Battle of Armageddon. Um, It's not saying this will necessarily be uh, waiting until that battle, but again, it is the time of that battle, so the days in which we live. And listen to what he says will happen. That's the context, and the context is very important here. He says, I will enter into judgment with them there, that is the nations that God gathers, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. And listen to what he says he's judging them for. They have also divided up my land, that is dividing up the land of Israel, he'll judge them for that. They have cast lots for my people, that is the Jewish people, but also look at this. They have given a boy as a payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. The bottom line is this. In the last days, people will be selling their children for personal financial gain. Now, why is that so important to point out now as we talk about the last days, the end times, and what's happening with our special guest today? Because we have a special guest today, uh, Devin from Street Hope Ministry, and I'll let her tell more about herself in just a moment. Um, But this is a ministry that deals specifically with this issue. And so I don't want to take too much time talking, but welcome, Devin. It is a blessing to have you today. So why don't you just tell us who you are, who you guys are as an organization, and what you're doing, and let's just kind of talk about this ministry that I think God warned us about would be happening in the last days that he's raised you up and your ministry to to help take care of. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Devin Payne, and I'm the executive director here at Street Hope Tennessee. And we are a Christ-centered counter-trafficking organization for children. So we focus on bringing an end not just to trafficking, but all forms of sexual exploitation. Yeah. We're seeing in providing safe environments to foster healing and hope through Jesus Christ, right. because 
God is the only one who can truly heal and restore. Yeah, so, and let me just real quick. I said I wouldn't yeah. interrupt much, but I want to say this. I don't think people realize exactly how much is really going on with our kids. Being that seems like such a you know, if you've grown up in the Christian world, it may be shocking, but our children are being trafficked for sex purposes. Mm-hmm. And growing numbers, and right here in Knoxville, and so this is not something that is like we're talking about future, it's happening now, and so again, I want people to understand, this is a real problem that's growing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when people think of trafficking, they think of taking the movie. That's the most popular movie that people have seen that has trafficking in it, and while that is trafficking and um, that's not really what we see in the United States. That can happen, right. but trafficking is not necessarily snatch and grab. You know, it's not somebody pulling up on the side of the street in a white van and offering your kid a lollipop to mm-hmm. jump in. It is much more devious than that. Um, trafficking, the actual definition is anytime a commercial sex act, which could be prostitution, pornography, stripping, or any type of sexual performance, is exchanged for anything of value. So it could be money, food shelter, drugs, and unfortunately, what we see around us, not just in the United States, not just in Tennessee, but here in East Tennessee, um, is parents exchanging their kids for sex for things like drugs, rent payment, and things like that. So see, that's the most shocking to me. Yeah. It's not just that it's happening, but it's it's within families that it's happening. Yeah. And really, that goes in line to what the Lord's talking about here yeah. in Joel, where it says, train their, their girls for wine. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's not just for money, but like you said, for whatever, yeah. drugs, whatever. Right. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, oftentimes when trafficking occurs, um, it's someone known to the child that exploits them first. And so we've got the familial end of it. It's called familial pimping. And then on the other side of it, um, traffickers use what we call grooming, which is where they target vulnerable people. But kids are vulnerable. (laughs) So they'll either do it in person, but also online. You know, we live in a world today where kids tell everyone everything about themselves. Mm -hmm. They accept friend requests from people they don't know. They're sending nude photos. They're doing these things because they need someone to tell them they have value and they have worth. And so these people target them, they build relationships with them, and then they exploit them. And to give you all an idea about the number of how horrible this is, in the world, trafficking is the fastest growing, the second largest and fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. Because while drug traffickers can sell um, drugs one time for a price, you can sell a person mm-hmm. over and over again, like a renewable yeah. resource. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what's happening. And on average in the United States, the average age someone enters trafficking is 13. Wow. Um, wow, wow, wow. On any given minute here in the U.S., around or on any every two minutes, a child is sold. And here in the United or here in Tennessee, it's estimated that around 100 kids a month are sold online in Tennessee. And that sat us from like 2015. That's pre-COVID. That's no. pre-kids having Chromebooks. That's, you know, that's an old statistic. When you say sold online, is this some kind of code thing? Or they just literally come out and say, I mean, are they? Be, how blatant are they? Or is it a code that people involved in that world know how to do? Like, how do you know someone's being sold without just writing, I've got a child here for... Right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? How do they do that? Yeah. So on the dark web, oftentimes you can do it on there. There's apps. There's things like um, I'm sure people have heard of cases like that happened with Craigslist and things like that several years ago where they'll use code names for what they're selling. Okay. Um, But, yeah, so that's what that's what we're talking about whenever we're talking about trafficking. Now, again, so what we have is this is why what you're doing is so important, because when you talk about families doing this to their own children, If they're rescued out of this, they can't just go home. No, no. So they need a place to go, a safe place to start over, and that's what you guys are offering. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the safe place you're giving them and what you're doing with this ministry to reach these kids? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, I think it's important for everyone to know Street Hope was founded by churches, and that's important because um, Street Hope, we do a lot of really good things, okay? We do awareness training, so we train law enforcement and healthcare workers and teachers on how to identify and report trafficking because more people train equal more victims identified. And then, you know, we do prevention education and Internet safety education curriculum that we provide to the school systems for free. And yeah. 20 school systems are using that right now here near us, which is incredible. And so 
that's great. Um, and we're opening this home of restoration. But the issue is, and the reason we need to focus on the body of Christ is because trafficking is a sin problem mm-hmm. and it's a heart problem. And all these are really good things, but they're being on the defense. We're putting fences around them. Mm-hmm. But the only way to end trafficking is to deal with the hearts. Yeah. God says he can change the hearts of kings like channels of water. Yeah. And if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek their face, his face and turn from their wicked ways, and he will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, yeah. and heal their land. And that's where we're going to see the change. So that's why this is important. Yeah, no, this <laughs> um, is huge. It's wonderful. Yeah. And so this home we're opening, it's called Garland Oaks. And um, the name Garland Oaks came from Isaiah 61. We claim Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 at Street Hope, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of our God, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn and grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland of beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and This home that we're building is so important because right now in the entire state of Tennessee, there are no homes like this. There are no homes specifically for children that are victims. So let me pause you on that because that's huge. I'm on a roll. I know you are. are, I don't mean to interrupt you, but (laughs) I want to make sure our listeners are catching this. We're talking about a place that's being given now, prepared for these kids who have nowhere to go. This is the only home in Tennessee where kids can go. Children. Can go. There's from older. Well, there are some places, but yeah. for children, this is it, and you guys are pioneering this. Yeah. So right now, and um, oftentimes, like you were talking about earlier, these children cannot go back to their families once they're found. Right. Oftentimes, they're found through our Department of Children's Services and law enforcement. And when that occurs, because so often it's familial, they can't go back home, and they don't right. need to because they still need counseling and so many services. Mm-hmm. And so, um, while we're thankful for. The resources we do have, which are group homes, residential facilities, and you know foster homes, we're, we're thankful for that, but that's not what they need. Right. They need a specialized environment that can treat all the, holistically treat all the areas yeah. of trauma they've experienced specifically for them as, yeah. as victims. And so Garland Oaks will be, um, once we get our doors open, it will be a home for girls. We're starting this home's for girls, and the reason why is we do care about the boys, but we know that more girls are trafficked than boys oh, right yeah, now. No and doubt. so we're yeah, starting yeah, yeah. with this, and then our goal is to pick it up and replicate it across the state. And so this will be for girls ages 12 to 17. Yeah. They'll be there anywhere 12, from 12 to 18 months. They'll work through the program at their own pace. And the coolest part about this is that it's actually a home. You've yeah. been there. You were, you no, were there I, this yeah, I was going to talk about that in a minute and kind of yeah. explain you'll get into what the home's like. But yeah. what I love about the concept here, Devin, and is that you talk about it's sad enough when these kids have to go in foster homes, regardless of their situations. Yeah. But this is specifically, I mean, these, these kids have specific hurts mm-hmm. that others don't have. Now, I know, I'm not minimizing the hurts of the yeah. other kids that have had a rough background. But you're talking about a very specific thing where it's not just you had a bad home or you had a bad upbringing or whatever. You're talking about they took you as a person and sold you as a commodity. Over and over again. And all the emotions are messed up. Your view of, of <laughs> any kind of good and, and, and evil or good and bad, any kind of trustworthiness of mm-hmm. any human being whatsoever because everybody has abused you for their own yeah. sake. So what I love about the concept is that it's setting this group aside that's not setting aside, bringing them in, if you will, that are hurting in so many ways and specifically dealing with those areas. Yeah. So about the home, you you brought that up. I've seen the home. It is amazing (laughs) what God is doing. It is such a blessing. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how it came about then about the home and what happens. You go in there, what, what they have. And of course I can tell you this, it, it, it feels like a home Mm -hmm. and it is just a place you want to be. I remember being there saying it feels so comfortable. I'd I'd like to stay here. It's wonderful. But anyway, tell us about how it came about and then, and then, about the home and what they'll be experiencing. Yeah, so um long time ago, I've been at Street Hope since 2017. Street Hope has um, been an actual nonprofit since 2015, but these churches started praying together in 2012 about this. Right, right. So people have been praying and seeking the Lord, and they have known from the beginning that that we needed to open this home. Mm-hmm. And what's important for people to understand is homes don't not exist in Tennessee because people don't care. It's because it's hard. There's no rules or guidelines yet in Tennessee on what one should look like. So right. what we're trying to do is create those best practices. And so 
this home, what happened as we were praying and seeking the Lord, we were just walking in obedience and God started opening these doors. And all I can claim is that, you know, when God says faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass and to commit your ways to him, trust also in him and he will do it. He means it. And so as we walked in obedience and we started seeking him on how to make this happen, he started opening doors. And so um, in 2017, there was one full-time person, me, <laughs> at Street Hope, and I had a working board. And so we were all working together on the things we were already doing, the education and whatever. And um, we really felt the Lord leading us, okay, it's time. You need to start preparing. We need to start working on this home. And we were going, Lord, we don't know what this looks like. And yeah. I spoke at a church, and they heard me say in like 30 seconds, we're on a journey to open the first safe home in the state for kids that are survivors. And the next morning received a phone call from a couple we I had never met in my life. And they said, you don't know us, but God's laid your ministry on your heart, on our heart, and we want to give you a gift. Wow. And it was seed money for this house that we knew we wanted to build. And they left, and I looked at my board chair, and I said, this is awesome, but I can't do all these things by myself anymore. We yeah. need to hire another staff member, but we don't have the money. And so we prayed together that day, and the next morning I got a phone call early that morning from somebody else I had never met, totally not related to these people. And she said, you don't know us, but God's laid your ministry on our heart. Wow, <laughs> we want wow, to give you a wow, gift. Wow, I love it. And they gave us a salary. So in two days we had seed money and a salary. It's <laughs> a nice gift. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Two months later, um, we hired Amy McCamus, who is our director of restoration Wonderful services. Wonderful lady, yes. Incredible. Amy's and well, yeah. the coolest thing about – about this whole journey is that when we say that God literally chooses the weak things of the world to prove himself strong and that his power is perfected in our weakness, we mean it. He chose the most least qual the least qualified people to do this so that when this happens, people have to know that it was God because there's yeah. no way. Yeah. There's no way we could have. Yeah. And so I say that about myself and her because that's our that's both of our testimony. Yeah, yeah. So two weeks later she starts she started at Street Hope kicking and screaming like me because we felt so unqualified. Two weeks later, we were, um, met with contractors, and we're telling them our vision, and they basically told us we had a third of the money we would need, that we couldn't flip the house if we wanted it to be for 10 people with 10 bedrooms. We would need to build from the ground up, and it probably needed to be outside of Knox County. It would just be easier. And so we left really sad and just heartbroken because <laughs> we were like felt really set back. And Amy said, hey, this is crazy. I know this lady. She owns a whole bunch of land. Um, and would you want to go look at it? And I said, is it for sale? And she said, nope. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, well, what else are we going to do today? <laughs> and so at this point, we keep driving. We're an hour away from our actual office. And we get to this land. And the lady that owns it, her house is on the corner. And she said, what are y'all doing all the way out? She was home. <laughs> she was like, what are y'all doing all the way out here? <laughs> And didn't even so give you didn't us, know the lady before that. I didn't. Oh, Amy is, did. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Amy did. Um, knows her very well. She's a family friend, and she's very familiar with Street Hope. And she said, um, like, she didn't even give us time to explain to her why we were out there. And she said, I can't believe this. I didn't think you'd come out this far. I didn't think you'd come out this far. And we said, what are you talking about? And she said, I've been asking the Lord, God, these are your fields, and I just want to do with them what you want me to wow. do. And I don't know, but am I supposed to give these to Street Hope for this home? If I am, please show me and make it clear. She said, and you're here on my property, an hour away from your office. That is so do you want my amazing. land? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so she gave, us, love it. she gave us the land where the house is, and it's on 15 acres. And, wow. And I could go on with stories like that over the past two years, but that was 2018. Yeah. Since then, we traveled around and figured out best practices for this house. We launched a capital campaign to pay for phase to pay to build the house in cash. It was right. one point four three million dollars. Yeah, raised that in a, a little over a year, which that's is insane. So, that's such a God story. All these so are God insane. stories. I love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. At the time, we didn't have a director of development, so God was literally sending these people to us. And um, right before COVID, we broke ground on wow. Garland Oaks. Yeah. And the coolest part about this is Garland Oaks is pulled from Isaiah 61 where God says he will give them a garland of beauty instead of ashes. Right. Because we say all the time, God doesn't put band-aids on brokenness. He makes beauty out of ashes. I love it. And our desire for the girls when they leave is they're firmly planted oaks of righteousness yeah. in him. And so the coolest part about this home, when we say it's holistic, 
every girl that comes, it's 10 bedrooms, so they'll each have their own room. And we walked you and Tracy kind of through this, but they get to pick out their bedding and they get, it's all about giving them these choices they've never been able to do so they can start to realize their value and their worth. They're becoming a person again. Yes. You're making them people again. Their humanhood, really, it was taken away their personhood. Yeah. So they can now, I get to choose. This is my room, my thing. They're they're rebuilding. It's it's not just the spiritual aspect, which is the most important, but you're giving them life back. Yes down here (laughs) absolutely and just teaching them their value and their worth and and the crazy part about it is you know it's gonna be awesome we're gonna have a teacher that's there full-time and each girl will be assessed on what level she is at at, you know reading math science whatever and we get them on a path for graduation so yes they get their physical needs met they're getting their educational needs met we have a full-time counselor that will be doing their therapy and counseling Mm which is awesome multiple times a week because that's so important. But also we want to teach them about their identity. Yeah. You know, we want to teach them. There's two two sides of that. One, who am I? What am I actually good at? You know, what do I, what has God, what gifts has God given me? And so these girls have electives they get to choose from and they get to try out dance and music and soccer and whatever. Yeah. And then if they don't like it, you know what? They can try something else because that's what we do for our kids right. until they right. figure out their, their niche or the right. gifts the Lord's given them. So they're going to do that. But most importantly, we want to teach them about their identity in Christ. Yeah, yeah. That God says, because you know when they leave, we they have to be able to recognize a counterfeit love, and they right. gotta understand their worth because Satan is called the accuser from as the, of the brethren for a reason, That's and he's right. gonna come and remind them of all of these things, and we want them to come to know the Lord and have His Word hidden in them, yeah. and know that way when He comes to them and says, "This is who you are." They say, no, 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 no. Before God formed me in my, mother, my mother's womb, he knew me. And before I was born, he set me apart. He's numbered the days of my habitation. Right. He knows every hair on my head. He has plans for me, plans for my welfare, plans to give me a hope in a future. I'm made in his image, and I'm filled with his purpose. I love it. And I so it. that way, when they leave, they're thriving. They're not yeah. just surviving. They are new creation, and they yeah. are thriving in the world. And they can stay. You sure this? How long can they stay when <laughs> yeah. they come in? We expect them to be there 12 to 18 months, okay. but we will never kick them out until they are ready. Um, we are not taking – well, we so we're faith-based, so we're not taking federal funding because right. we just want to be careful there um, and ensure that we can continue to share the gospel. But also, we want to be able to keep them there as long as they need to be there without yeah. any – you know, guidelines on a 30, 60, 90 day program because everybody's ha- path to restoration is is different. So we do expect them to be there 12 to 18 months, but if they need to be there longer, they yeah, can't. Yeah, something that they're super young and they can't go home. Where right. do they go after that? That's what's so exciting. Okay, okay, okay good, good. So, so what happens? What happens? The final phase <laughs> of this is um, it's really important that survivors, first of all, um, we've got to teach them at some point and expose them to healthy relationships to men. And so one of the ways that we're doing that is in the final phase of being at Garland Oaks is on the weekends, these kids are going to be placed with foster families that we have handpicked that love the Lord and that have been trained in trauma-informed care and trafficking so that they can go there on the weekends, see how a family unit is supposed to be, um, a healthy, God-fearing mm-hmm. family unit, and go to church with those families and be immersed in that with the goal of when they're ready to completely leave the program, they will go to one of those families as their great. forever home. Okay, good. So that's, that's the plan. wonderful. No, that's great. I was curious, like, what happens for the younger ones, yeah. you know, and they're so... Um, yeah, and, and on the flip side of that, if they're 18, you know, if they turn 18, if they turn 18 in our program, they're not going to be kicked out. Yeah. They can finish the program. And on the same, the same idea is even when they're leaving, they may not need to be adopted or go to a foster family, right. but we're going to give them one anyways yeah. that can love them and care for them and mentor them, even if they're not living with them, yeah. because everybody needs Oh, people yeah. to love them <laughs> yeah 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 i, I just i so. can't imagine him trying to rebuild from they have no idea of what normal yeah. is or what loved is or anything it's all yeah. so it's all it's been so twisted absolutely and uh and so that's what's so wonderful about what you guys are doing and i think you're the first one so i know that you know i hope this is the beginning of something that just springs up and we have these i hate to say we need them yeah. all across the state that's almost a sad statement but yeah. the reality we is we do yeah I mean, I don't know what the statistics are here in Knoxville as far as the numbers that are being trafficked, mm-hmm. but I know that it's constantly going up. You know, one of the things we were talking about before the show began was uh, really the education I got that it was even happening. You know, just a few years back, I didn't know this was even yeah. a, a thing that happened 
here in America. I thought, oh, yeah, that's other countries. But to imagine that it's happening here, and it is, and it's getting worse. Yeah. And again, even I believe God spoke about it, and then to see God raising up ministries to meet that, it's just a tremendous. Yeah. And here's the coolest part about the whole thing. I think I told you all this the other day, but I feel like it's not lost on us that nobody has been able to do this yet. Right. And God's using a Christ-centered ministry to do it, not because any of us are special or important. We are not. Right. We have no idea what we're doing right, right. apart from Christ. But he has gone before us and opened the doors and provided the funding and the things. And what we say all the time is we're ministry and our mission is to help kids. And our mission is to you know serve those that are victims and prevent people from becoming victims and all of those things. But we're also about making disciples yeah. and, and reaching people for Christ. And when God brings about this house and when people see it, when they hear the story, the goal is that it's such a God thing that people who don't even know the Lord cannot deny, cannot right. deny him because there's, they're going to go, there's, there has to be a God because yeah. there's no way that could happen I apart love it. from him. No, that's great. So, well, and I thought you were going to bring up another point, which I think is so good yeah. about what you guys are doing. It's not really the government's responsibility. Amen. It's the church, and yes. now God is raising up the church yes. to meet that need, which is really, in, in not just in that need, but in every need should be there. Yeah. Now, again, I want to make sure and that we have time to talk about, um, okay, somebody's hearing this, and they're yes. like, wow, I want to be involved. I, I want to, maybe it's just prayer. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody's saying, I'd like to be involved financially and yeah. give toward it. And even, and I would encourage listeners, for those that are hearing this, and if you do feel in your heart you want to be involved, I think one of the greatest needs if I could speak for you guys for a moment, is not just the one-time gift, because there will be some of that, but any of you out there that go, you know, we're looking for missions to give to. We're yeah. looking for a way to invest in the kingdom on a regular basis, because with a home like this, it's wonderful to get a gift. That is a blessing. But to have something consistent each month yeah. that you can count on and build on, there's no replacement for that. Yeah. And so I know God's going to do that. He's brought you this far. God's going to continue yeah, to provide that. But I would just say for those two, two things, for those that are wanting a place to, to really three, pray for. Secondly, a place to maybe give a one time if you're wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. But then if you have been specifically going, God, what do you, where do you want me to expand my giving um, in a long-time term consistent way? Yeah. How do they do that? Let Give them the info they need to be able to connect with you guys. Yeah, so um, what we say for anybody that wants to be involved with Street Hope and the counter-trafficking movement, we say give, pray, serve, share. And so um, the our soapbox in the scripture that we claim so often also is, you know, in Acts 2, Holy Spirit had fallen on the people of the Lord mm-hmm. after they'd come to know him, and, and they were filled with the Spirit. And then it said the body of Christ started fellowshipping, breaking bread, spending time in the Word together, right. praying together. And then they began selling all their belongings to the point where there are no needs left because the body of Christ had met those right, needs. Right. That's why we feel strongly that we don't need anything except for Christ and his body That's to make right. this work happen. Right. And so um, giving, obviously, um, we are in phase two of our capital campaign for the house specifically. Okay. We need around $950,000 more before we can open our doors. That is going to cover our first two years of operating expenses to make sure we start off on a strong foundation. And let me say real quick, because I don't want to cut you yeah. off, but for those that are listening, if you don't think that they're far enough down the road, you should get involved. I know sometimes that mindset, yeah. no, the house is built, it is yeah. beautiful. Yes, there's things to finish and be there, right. but it's not like they're waiting, like we're looking at something down the road, some vision. Yeah. This is happening, just need this last bit to get going. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Exactly. And so that that will help us start off on a firm foundation, and we will continue Rick fundraising after that, but that's to make sure we start off on a good. So, what about finish. the website? I'm watching the clock. So, I'm mean, yes. rushing. I'm hurrying. No, it's no, good. Right. So, the website is streethopetn.org/slash/garlandoaks. Streethopetn. Yep. Dot org. Dot org. Yep. Slash. Forward slash Garland Oaks. And if that's hard for you to find, just yep. go to our website. And there's stuff about Garland Oaks. So if they Google, if you'll they Google, see Garland Oaks right on the website. And if they we Google Street Hope, yeah. they're going to find all that you yeah. need. They right are. Well, right? They're going to find well, it. Let me say this before Greg, you take us out. Devin, yeah. thank you so much for being with us. What thank a blessing to have you. You did fantastic, which thank I knew you. you would. Thank you. And just great info about the ministry, about how to be involved. I'm excited about what God is doing. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about who God has involved. And I'm excited yep. about what God is going to do. So yep. we will be praying for you. And just thank you for being here so much. Thank you for having me. Such a blessing. Yeah. And Devin, if we've got signs of the times listener that's not in the knoxville area and they're interested in finding a place like this in their neighborhood or getting started can they reach out to you in the contact us section and maybe you can connect them to resources in their state absolutely perfect fantastic 
Thank you, Devin. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Folks, don't go anywhere. We've got lots of great listener questions and articles to discuss as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. We'll be right back after this break. W-I-A-M-L-P 101.1 FM, Knoxville Do you have a ministry to those in your community? Maybe to unwed moms or a teen in need of a mentor? An area you may not have considered is your job. Hi, I'm Chuck Bentley. This is My Money Life from Crown. We know that Jesus wants us as His people to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Today, Crown's founder, Larry Briquette, explains what that might look like at work. The ministry that you have through what you do is that you're excellent at it. And if you are not, you're probably not using your ability or you're in the wrong place. Do you have a witness through what you do? In other words, are you required to compromise? That's your witness. Your witness is, I stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll flex, and I believe every Christian should flex. Paul said, I am all things to all men. But there was a point at which Paul would not flex. And you read his letters, and you see pretty clearly he would not flex beyond that point. At the point at which he had to compromise what he believed, that's where the rubber met the road with Paul. It's a question of, do you believe what God says, or don't you believe? Are you willing to compromise? Are you willing not? Is God first? That's really what it amounts to. That's what a witness is. Is God first in our lives? If Christian employees practice two principles, number one, be excellent, to be the best that you can be at what you do. Number two, give honor to the authority above you. Do you know we'd never have an unemployed Christian? Somebody would snap them up. I don't care where they were. I mean, that's a rare characteristic in people. If you've been helped by Crown or this radio station, I want to ask you to support us. We work to help others, and your gifts make that possible. And if you already give, thank you for your generosity. You can begin giving today online at crown.org. That's crown.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. It's time to fight. It's not time to quit. It's time to fight. We're in a fight here in the last days. We're in a fight. It's time to fight. It's time to stand strong in the grace of God. It's time to fight. Fight for your family. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your kids. Fight for your friends. You fight for the church of Jesus. It's time to fight. It's not time to quit. It's time to press on. We know that in the last days, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. Guess what, folks? You're in the last days. It's going to get harder. It's time to fight. It's not time to quit. For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the signs of the times. For Friday, April 30th, 2021, this is going to be, I think it, I think I said earlier, episode 167. What does my note say? Yes, 167. There you go. Okay. Fantastic. That was a, uh, a great uh, first half hour oh, with yeah. Devin yes, from was. Street Hope. And again, we just want to mention that website again, streethopetn.org. Uh, if you're interested in getting involved in supporting that worthwhile and much needed ministry, and no doubt it's it's needed not just in this Knoxville community, uh, but all over. So uh, hopefully the Lord will use that half hour. And in this half hour, we are going to get into articles. But first... You've got 
Pastor Mark, we've actually got uh, three questions this week. This is our Truth in 10 segment. Uh, This is where Pastor Mark answers your questions in 10 minutes or less. And uh, Pastor Mark, our first question is from Brad. And Brad says, what's up with parentheses in the Bible? Uh, And this is a great question. It really is. It appears that at times it's added text by the translator to help understand the meaning. For example, in John 138, where it's explaining the translation of a word or phrase. There are times, though where parentheses seem to include text written by the original writer, for example, Ephesians 3, 3 through 4. Are the words in parentheses always Scripture, or are they commentary? Yeah, my, my best understanding of this, and this is certainly not going to take 10 minutes to answer, it's a great question, yeah. but uh, my best um, knowledge of this, and from what I find on it, anytime you see an italicized word or a word in parentheses, it's not found in the original text. Okay. So this wouldn't be something you'd find in, in the Old Testament. Of course, that's Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. But what happens is, is they give license to the editors to put certain words in to, you know, further explain the meaning of something. And um, so you'll see that, especially in certain uh, translations that use a lot more um, uh, freedom, like the Amplified Bible. And let me just say this again. There's two different kinds of, of, of Bibles. There's translation and there's transliteration. And in transliteration, you'll see more of the typically of, of, of the parentheses or italicized. And here's the difference. A translation is literally word for word. You go to the Hebrew and put the word down in English. You go to the Greek in the New Testament, put the word down in English. In a transliteration, it is thought for thought, not word for word. So you, you, you read it and you get the, the actual words. Say, okay, how can I say this in the way I want to say it? Thought for thought. And you write it down. And they take a lot more freedoms in that. I'm very much a translation guy. I'm not into the thought-for-thought thought type things, if you will. That would be um, like the message, right? Well, yeah, the message, NIV, um, okay. you know, different ones. Are, are, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that NIV is something that you'd never read or stay. I'm not making that point. I'm saying it's not a real translation. The NIV is not a translation of the Bible. The NIV is a transliteration of the Bible, which means it is a thought-for-thought. Thought. So you do get the general thought of the Bible, but you're not actually reading the word of God from the ancient text. Whereas if you get a King James or a new King James, you're actually reading the word of God from the ancient text and they've transferred it over into English. Now, when you see the italics or the parentheses, that is the freedom of the editor to say, okay, here's what it means and what it's really talking about. And they usually do a pretty good job of really kind of putting in their own words, their own thought about what it's talking about. So it's not necessarily wrong when they put it in there. They just put the brackets on it or they put the italicized around it or make it italicized so they can let you know this is not really from uh, the Bible. This is being added by the editors to help you understand the Bible. So that's what's going on with the uh, brackets and italicized and all that. Okay, great. Well, Brad, thanks for that question. Uh, Pastor Mark, our next one is from Jill. And Jill says, I know Pastor Mark has done, and that's you, by the way. Yes, I know Pastor Mark me. has done extensive study and believes, as my husband and I do, that the rapture will occur pre-tribulation. It seems, though, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that Paul is saying we will not be taken up with Christ until the Antichrist is revealed. That is where some base their belief that the rapture will be mid-tribulation as opposed to pre-tribulation. My husband and I are thinking since Paul was addressing the rumors that the day of the Lord had already come, he was saying the day of the Lord's return and the revealing of the Antichrist are almost simultaneous events. So if the rapture had already happened, the Antichrist would have already been revealed. So what is your take on 2 Thessalonians, and does it support a view of a mid-tribulation rapture? Yeah, what a great question. This is a hard passage, and I think, remember, we have to look at all the Bible, and we have to look at context to really uh, understand what's going on here. And here's where it gets confusing. It says, Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together, we ask you not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit, by word, or by letter, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Uh, that's why they're wondering if it's before the rapture. Uh, the son of perdition who opposes or exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped 
uh, and sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's really the context here is the main thing we have to really grasp on this uh, particular thing, Jill, and that is um, the first thing to note here, the phrase day of Christ or day of the Lord, uh, most uh, commentators believe is speaking of the great tribulation because that common phraseology is used. So you see two things going on, one speaking in this passage about the great tribulation as well as also speaking about the rapture of the church. And Paul specifically mentions events that the Bible clearly says will happen during the Great Tribulation that have not yet happened. So because we have that context, we know he's talking about the Great Tribulation here. The Antichrist has to be revealed before the Great Tribulation, even though the wording can be confusing, because again, he speaks first about uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it's the second coming. Then he speaks of our gathering together, which most believe now is referring to the rapture. So he brings both up and then says, now, before the Antichrist is revealed, that is before, not before the Antichrist is revealed, but before all these things of the Great Tribulation, the day of Christ takes place. The Antichrist must first be revealed, which is very obviously what has to happen in order for him to be able to do that. Now, with that said, I believe the context um, would put the day of Christ being the Great Tribulation, which means, again, he'll be revealed before the Great Tribulation in context. But let me say this again. I am open to the fact that it's possible that the Antichrist could be revealed. I'm not saying it's totally impossible. I think that the rapture will take place first. But it's not impossible that the Antichrist would briefly be revealed before we're taken out of here, only because once he comes into power, he'll be given power, and he's going to pull down three of these other ten kingdoms that are with him right off the bat. The question is, does he do that and then sign the treaty, or does he sign the treaty and then pull them down? So we can get into kind of the timing here can get interesting when we talk about, you know, that kind of thing. We'll have to wait and see. My, I still lean toward the fact that we'll be taken out here before he's even revealed, but I'm open to the possibility because of Scripture that doesn't quite nail it down that he could be revealed prior to us being taken out of here. But I do believe that we um, must be taken out of here Uh, prior to this signing of the treaty with the children of Israel. Now, here's why I believe that. And this gets back to the second part of your question, and that is, could there be a mid-trib type thing going on? Yeah, Uh, rapture. I do not believe that is possible biblically, and here is why uh, in this instance here, Jill, or not just this, but really looking at all the Scripture in context. Jesus said this, no one will know the day or the hour. Okay? Now, we know he's not talking about the second coming. How do we know that? Well, the, again, even as Paul mentioned two things there, the coming of the Lord and the and also uh, the day the, of the Lord. Yeah, the day of the Lord. So yeah. and, the, and the gathering together. So, again, two different events here. So how do we know he's not talking about, again, the no one, not the second coming? Um, because he says no one will know the day or the hour. Daniel tells us the exact number of days when the Antichrist declares that when he signs that treaty with Israel. Daniel chapter 9 tells us it will be exactly 2,520 days until the second coming. So what that means is, if we are still here when that peace treaty is signed, we can defy the words of Christ. Because Jesus said no one will know the day or the hour. I can tell you exactly what it's going to be. I can tell you the rapture and the second coming, because if I'm here when he signs that treaty, that means it's not pre-trib. Because it would have happened right then, and the clock has started for the 2,520 days. If it's going to be mid-trib, I can say, okay, exactly 1,260 days from today will be the rapture of the church. And then I can also say, if I'm here when that happens, 2,520 days, the second coming. So I could accurately predict the mid-trib rapture to the day, if I'm here when he signs that treaty, and I can accurately predict the second coming to the day, if I'm here when he signs that, that, that treaty. Mm-hmm. So here's my point. We have to be gone either at the same instant he signs that treaty or prior to him signing that seven-year treaty it talks about in Daniel, or we can defy the words of Christ. And that is we can say, here's when the rapture is going to be because it wasn't pre-trib, so it has to be here in 1260 days mid-trib, or here's going to be at the very end and also the second coming. With all that said, and I hope that made sense, we have to be gone at the very beginning, biblically, Or we could defy the words of Christ. Well, we know that we cannot defy the words of Christ. No one can defy the words of Christ. Jesus said, no one will know the day or the hour. And there's a whole other subject in that we'll discuss Mm, at another time. Yes. But when he gives the exact days, we could literally predict the day of the rapture or the day of the second coming 
to the day, and therefore what Jesus said we could prove wrong, which we can't do, and we'd never be able to do. So with all that said, a mid-trib um, uh, rapture is biblically impossible. A post-trib rapture is biblically impossible. And again, because I could predict the exact day or hour or any other believer that's here, and Jesus, Jesus based on Daniel chapter 9, and Jesus made it very clear, no one will know the day or the hour. So, uh, context, I believe he's talking about the Antichrist to be revealed prior to the Great Tribulation. And as far as the mid-trib, I think it's biblically impossible because we will know the days once that treaty is signed. And Jesus said no one will know the day or the hour. But they will know the day and the hour of his second coming because that's yeah. what's talked about from the time the peace right. treaty is signed and, and see, to the end of the tribulation that's period. Wild because, that's the difference. Yeah, that's wild because if you know, you say, well, somebody might say, well, they won't know because all the Christians will be taken. Well, that's true, but there are people today who do not know Christ, but they know the Bible. And I'm convinced there will be lots of people on the earth after the rapture who will know the exact day the Lord's coming back. They can count it down. Okay, guys, another yeah. th- another 500 days. Okay, guys, 499 days. They're literally going to count down the second coming of Christ because they're going to know. And hopefully, I would say by then, there'll be believers. They'll probably repent and receive Christ for real. They will have missed the rapture, but they'll get into the kingdom uh, either way with, after the Great Tribulation, and, and which is how, not something you want to do. Well, I was going to say, how many days is that? It's 1,200. It's 1,260 days 1260 to the mid Yes. So 1,260 days from, from, from the time he signs the peace treaty to the time that Jesus sets foot on the Temple Mount. No, 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 hang on. That's, no, yeah. that's 2,520 days, 1260 doubled. It's 1260 to the midpoint. Right. Another 1260 yeah, to the That's what I'm saying. End. That's okay. what I'm saying. Okay. 1260 from the time he signs the peace treaty to Jesus coming back. No, no, no. When he signs the peace treaty, it'll be 2,520 days. Oh, I'm sorry. The mid- I'm sorry. Days. Yeah, you're at the I meant the midway point when he stands up in the Temple Mount Bingo. and declares there himself go. God. Yes. Okay. And the reason why I've got. I was thinking about that is because that is a long 1260 days. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. When you read what's going to happen in yeah. the second half of that. But Greg, really, to say. sum this up, really, yeah. it is so choreographed day by day when that when that seven year period starts that there will be no mystery. Yeah, there's not going to be a mystery of any. You can anybody could predict the, the mid trib rapture. Anybody could predict the second coming. Anybody, even those who say it's post trib and they say the two happen together because there's one uh, theolo- theology uh, doctrine that says they both happen, the rapture and second coming at the same time. You can still predict that. So so what I'm saying is all of those are predictable. The only way that we cannot defy the words of Christ is if we are taken out before that treaty is signed. Because if we're here after that treaty is signed, any of those seven years, we can defy the words of Christ and no one can defy the words of Christ, which is why I say there's no biblical way. It could be any other solution than a pre-trib rapture. Well, Jill, thank you so much. For that question, that's a great discussion. Uh, Pastor Mark, our last uh, Truth in 10 uh, question comes from Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says this. She says, I've heard Pastor Mark say many times that the Dead Sea Scrolls have given us proof that the Scripture has remained unchanged with time. My friend often remarks, why is the Book of Enoch not included in the Bible, even though it was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Also, why are there many other books removed from the Bible? My question is, how was it decided which scripture was inspired and thus included in the Christian biblical canon? And should we still study the book of Enoch and the rest of the Apocrypha to understand the Bible more fully? What do you say to that? Yeah, this is a great question. Again, all these questions are so good. First of all, um, there, there, there is a criteria that has to be in place and was used to determine what could be included in what they call the canon of Scripture, or that is what gets in the Bible. They call the Bible, the, the accepted Bible, the canon of, of Scripture. And so the bottom line is you have to meet certain requirements in order to be able to do that. And um, When was the canonization? The canonization process actually took a, it was over a period of time. I forget exactly. I think the complete canon was in AD 397, I think is when the, the canon was complete. So AD okay. 397. But it was built up through that time until you get to 397 when it was done. But here's how it was determined. And I'll, there's, there's, there's more to it than this, but I'll sum it up in saying this when it comes to what got in the Bible and what didn't get in. Number one, it had to be provably without error. Provably without error error and so if you found any error historically 
Mm-hmm. Um, anything that was wrong, you know, whatever, because it could not be the word of God. Why? Because God's word will be perfect and will be 100% accurate. Now let's get first to your question about the book of Enoch. Why can the book of Enoch not be included? And why was it not included in the Bible? Even though again, it has been found in other areas and, and, and all this kind of thing. The bottom line is the book of Enoch has multiple provable errors, multiple provable mistakes, multiple provable, um, um, you know, historicity, even things that are wrong in it. You can prove things are wrong in the book of Enoch, which automatically means it is not included. It is disqualified from being the word of God because God will not miss. God's not 99.9%. God is 100%. So the book of Enoch and some of these other books, you know, there's, there's books about Mary Magdalene. And there's all kinds of books out there. The reason they're not included is because they have mistakes and errors. And remember, when you're talking about God's word, he doesn't make mistakes and errors. Now, some of you might be saying, but the Bible, the Bible has contradictions. I hear, no, the Bible has zero contradictions. You just have to understand your Bible better, number one. And secondly, when people that think that is, is there has never been, I want to make this very clear. There may be things that often appear to be wrong or a contradiction, but on further study, it's always proven to be accurate. And how do I know that? If they ever found a mistake, believe me, it would be on the front page of every newspaper across the world forever, and you'd know about it. Um, the bottom line is people don't know their Bible's good enough, and so there have been zero provable, and that's the key, throughout biblical history. There's not one record in biblical history of a proven Bible error or mistake. Accusations, yes, none provable. And I can say for all those that I've run across of all the years where people attack the Bible, I have been able to personally prove that those people are wrong and that the word of God is true by knowing the Bible, looking at it as a whole and further study. So, um, again, you know, the, the, the confidence you can have is that God can write a book and God can preserve that book and God has preserved that book in what we call today the Bible. Now, it's not only just, you know, mistakes or accuracy there was a second criteria and there's more than this i'm mentioning probably the two main ones one of the next main criteria for determining what got in the bible and what didn't is not just that it didn't have any errors or mistakes but beyond that um, it had to have noticeable life changing qualities when people added it to their life and applied it their lives changed and if you didn't have life-changing power it wasn't the word of god because god's word is life-changing power so all the books in the bible have been proven to have life-changing power all the books in the bible are proven to be without error or or they're totally accurate and so again that's how they determined what it was and it's it's really neat when you realize god wrote the book god preserved it god moved in hearts of the men he wanted to put it in place and if we don't think that God can do that, then how big is our God? He obviously is not God if he can't write a book and then preserve it. And the exciting thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls, regardless of other writings they found there, is that what we found with the Dead Sea Scrolls is that it's exactly the same Bible we have today that they had 300 years prior to Christ. It has not been changed, and now we can prove that by the Dead Sea Scrolls, which silences a lot of the critics who say, well, the Bible's been changed and translated differently. No, now we know, indeed, it is exactly the same. Okay. And so just specifically, Pastor Mark, to when Elizabeth is saying, um, also, why are there many other books removed from the Bible? So basically what you're saying is there, once the Bible was canonized, yes. there was nothing removed from the canonization. Exactly. Nothing has been removed, Elizabeth. What has happened is mankind has tried to add. To add. And so what they tried to add was the Apocrypha and some of the other books um, and say that they were there, but they were never a part of the approved canon of Scripture. And by the way, they were never a part, Greg, of approved Scripture through what Jesus uh, himself approved. Here's how we know. The Apocrypha, the majority of it, existed in Jesus' day. A lot of people don't know that. Now, there have been some, wasn't written afterwards. There's some, the most of it. There were some yeah. that came afterwards, but the yeah. majority of the Apocrypha was that Jesus had it. Now, with Jesus having the Apocrypha, he never once quoted it. He never once gave it credibility. He never acknowledged it as the Word of God. He completely left it out, and he made a specific point in Luke chapter 24 to say this— if you want to learn about me, you will find it in Moses, the law, and the, and the prophets, prophets yeah. and, and, and specifically yeah. the approved canon of the Old Testament that they had in that day is the same one we have today. They specifically referred to that canon, that grouping of books, as Moses, the law, and the prophets. So here's what Jesus said. If you want to know about me and you want to know what my word is, it's going to be Moses, the law, and the prophets, or what we call today in the modern church, 
the Old Testament. Mm. And they had the Apocrypha floating around. He completely excluded it. He did not mention it. And he only focused on what we accept. They accepted then and we still accept today as the canon of Scripture for the Old Testament. And then he said, for the New Testament, I will bring to your memory the things that I want you to know. And even as he controlled that, he has controlled this. And what we have, we can rest assured, is the Word of God. It has stood the test of time. No errors, no mistakes, provable life-changing quality. And that is how we get, by God's hand, the approved canon of Scripture, Old New Testament combined. Well, Elizabeth, I hope that answers your other question in terms of should we still study the book of Enoch and the rest of the Apocrypha to understand the Bible more fully, because Pastor Mark is basically saying it's it might be good for historical read, but it's not Bible study. Yes, and there are some things, again, when it comes to history, you're going to find yeah. in some of these books some history you can draw on, but again, there's a big difference in history and the Word of God. Yes. History is <laughs> yeah. history. The Word yeah. of God comes straight from heaven and is God-breathed, and only God approves what He approves. Yeah. Well, if you've got a question like Elizabeth and Jill and Brad, uh, we invite you to go to thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times. Don't click on anything else there. If you've got a prophecy question for Pastor Mark, click on Signs of the Times. Navigate your way to Ask a Prophecy Question. We've also got some frequently asked questions there as well that you can check out. Okay, for the time that we've got left, here's another plug at thewaymedia.net. When you go to each episode, we post the articles that we discuss. Why is that important this week? Because we're not going to get to all the articles. <laughs> uh, so there's, they're going to be there for you to read. The links are there. You can read them from the sources that we've gotten them from as right. well. So just right. FYI on that, why we didn't get to all of the articles. That's why. Yeah. But Great. we are going to go to Israel. And uh, and here we see from uh, the Wall Street Journal that Gaza militants have fired rockets at Israel amid Jerusalem clashes. Yes, every so often you see a flare-up because we're right in the middle of a spiritual battle in the heart of God's uh, eternal kingdom, Jerusalem. Militants in Gaza fired more than 30 rockets into Israel overnight. Of course, this was a few days ago. The worst flare-up in months amid escalating nightly clashes between Palestinians and Israelis in Jerusalem. In response to the barrage, Israel struck Hamas military targets including infrastructure and rocket launchers, Israel's military said Saturday. Uh, two militant groups in Gaza, Fatah's Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade and the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine's Abu Ali Brigades claim responsibility. Um, and again, um, they basically are saying you know, they did it. It's part of a comprehensive and aggressive policy against our people, they say, that said that Israel's doing. And they, they did claim the rocket fire, but said what the Palestinian uh, resistance is doing is in response to the aggression within the framework of carrying out its national duty to protect and defend the interests of the people. Of the people. So basically... They hate Israel. They're trying to destroy them. They attack them. You know, this ever so often, this flares up. Remember, it's not always, it's nearly, not nearly as bad as what it looks like in the news. These are typically right along the border. It happens ever so often. Israel deals with it. It's a flare up again. But again, you're going to see as we get more into the last days, you'll see more of these flare ups as Satan will be stirring the enemies of Israel and the enemies of God against uh, God's people and against Israel. And so again, this is just again, right in line with what we would expect. But this right here is not a huge deal it's already dying down and we'll see whether or not it keeps going on or what it does but this happens from time to time and it's no uh, at this point no major concern okay uh from jpost.com pastor mark uh comes this a syrian missile lands near the daimona or demona nuclear reactor yeah. and interception fails so what does that mean that yeah. israel tried to intercept the rocket and, the, and it failed yes this That's is very scary this is scary and it's also very rare for the uh, patriot missile system or the iron dome system uh to fail i think it was the patriot that failed at this at this juncture um, the, here's the bottom line. Israel does not yet openly say they're a nuclear power, but they are. And Demona is their nuclear facility. So they were apparently trying to strike Israel's nuclear facility, and the uh, defense systems failed them. That's a very serious issue. No doubt mm. there's some, a lot of discussions and a lot of stuff happening in Israel right now. But it says Israel and Syria exchanged missile attacks on Thursday morning after Damascus lost an advanced surface-to-air missile that landed in the Negev. That's then the lower southern, uh, southern part of Israel. They fired, and Syria fired the missile in response to what it claims was an Israeli Air Force bombing near Damascus. Uh, Israel frequently strikes there to kind of take out what they need to take out. But the bottom line is they say they're trying to say it was an errant missile and they weren't aiming for that. But the fact that it went near Demona, I guess there's that chance. But, Greg, it almost looks like they meant to send it to Demona. And if they did, that means they're being bolder about their attacks. 
and Israel finding this weak area here and their ability to defend it, they better shore that up quickly because yeah. this could be a big issue. So that could escalate things. If they struck a nuclear facility in Israel, that's the kind of thing that could you could see Israel again begin to build up and ratchet up, which could even lead possibly to the destruction of Damascus, Isaiah 17, 1, which we're watching for. And this is the kind of thing, if they did something like that, Greg, could result in a, uh, a response on Damascus that may end up fulfilling Isaiah 17. So this is something to watch. Well, and we've often talked about how Isaiah 17, 1 could potentially be the linchpin pulled uh, for Ezekiel 38 and 39, we don't know. One thing's for certain is that God's word is true, and he yeah. continually opens the scriptures to us. And we hope someday in the near future we're going to talk about some of the things that Pastor Mark has been learning uh, regarding Rosh Hashanah yes. and the uh, Feast of Trumpets and just lots of cool things. God's word never disappoints. Amen. Don't forget, everyone, thewaymedia.net is where you can get everything Signs of the Times related. And we invite you back here next Friday at 1.30 as we discuss more Signs of the Times right here on WIAM. To be human is to be imperfect, fallible, frail. Any casual observer of human nature can see we have rough edges and are, quite often, prone to periods of downright shocking behavior. And yet, even at our worst, we are loved, not in spite of our humanity, but because of it. Being human does not disqualify you from grace. So next time you find yourself still being human, God is still being God. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way. Are a 